I bet you, Sarah, that no one last week was going to send you their orgasm stories. And I'm pretty sure people did just despite me. You think so? I did actually have one, someone who, a woman who I don't know. So I'm assuming she might be a friend of yours saying that she really didn't want to help you lose a bet, but she wanted to tell me her orgasm story. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you to all the people. I got about five or six stories, which I am now excited to be able to, like, I can now write about this because I, I didn't know that story for anyone who didn't listen last week. Well, they should go listen, basically. They should go listen. But the summary is I found an article that alluded to this idea that women might randomly have spontaneous orgasm during exercise. And I had an experience like that. And I wondered if other people did. And I wondered why. Okay. So so what kinds of exercise orgasms did people share with you? They, yeah, they basically came in in a few categories. Uh, one was like my story where there's a, there's clenching of core muscles and pelvic floor muscles involved that brings on <laughs> the response. Okay. And then there were other stories about bike saddles. There were bike saddle story categories. And then there was an, there was another story about, you can imagine this one, like externally, like a swim skin or wetsuit kind of like rubbing in the wrong or right place depending Uh, on your point of view whatever yes okay exactly so i did get some good stories and i'm gonna put this all together and all right so people are gonna stay tuned stay tuned for the details of all the stories exactly okay so for this week after the break kelly and i are going to talk about the 70.3 world championships we're going to talk about wild card spots for the ironman world championships A listener had some great tips for picking races for Kona. So if you want to go to Kona, stay tuned for that. Do you have to be mentally ill to do Ironman? And of course, a voicemail from Kelly's mom. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny and I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast, get 20% off with the code RIDING at AskKickerInc, Inc with a K, dot com. If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at cravejerky.com. That is crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. This time, like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get Okay, so my whole social media, I'm pretty sure everyone on my Instagram is either in South Africa for the 70.3 World Championships or in Chamonix for UTMB, which is like the big ultra running race. And I really feel like I feel like I'm missing out on the world on the world championships this year. I'm super jealous. Are you? I'm not. I'm just not feeling it. I think I'm just not not paying attention, though. I'm yeah. You don't feel like everyone is in South Africa. Everyone. (laughs) Everyone is in South Africa. Well. No, I don't. I don't. Is it, is it a well-attended world championship? I believe so. I mean, generally at this, so the 70.3 world championships have gotten more and more competitive over the years. 
And like, and it moves around and it moves around now. And so there's, I saw the stats once in terms of how many people accept their slot, which is kind of how you denote whether or not something's competitive. If a slot rolls down, it's because people like the best people didn't want it generally. Right. And within the region, pretty much everyone in any region, like accepts their slot. Does that make sense? So like when it's in Australia, 80 something percent of the people from that region, like accept a slot. And obviously the rates go down outside of that region. Cause it's like further away, if that makes sense. So when it gets outside of North America or Europe, the rates like do go down, but then it, like Australia is competitive on its own. So then you just have more Australians. So I think it like, anyway, I think it, I think it's like a mixed bag. You know, you have more competitive people in the Asia Pacific region and fewer North Americans going, but it like evens out is my theory. Yeah. It's, I would agree with that, except my one question about that is that South Africa is kind of stuck there in the middle of nowhere. So what region yeah. does it grab from, if you see what I mean? Like, what, who are the people who, because obviously every amateur athlete can't afford to fly halfway across the world to do a world championship. So who, who are the people going to South Africa? The people who can afford to do triathlon in the first place? <laughs> FYI. I do think South Africa had this added, like more people picked it than potentially other locations because there's very much everyone I know is also doing like a whole big trip. They're doing a whole thing. They're going on a safari. It's a, it's an event, Sarah. I'll tell you what I was jealous of is I have an athlete there who is racing and she, um, she sent me a picture of herself petting a cheetah. And that doesn't sound safe. That sounds like not a good, you tell her it was a a controlled environment. Yeah. But on the pro side, it is also at least pretty competitive. I am curious about Javier Gomez versus Jan Ferdino. I think that's going to be, I think they're both racing, right? I'm pretty sure they're both racing. I think that's going to be fun. And then Daniela Riff, Reef is racing and Lucy Charles is, which is new. I don't think she's done 70.3 worlds before, right? Oh, that's interesting. She's, she's young as well, which sometimes can be an advantage for 70.3 worlds. And I don't think she would go if she didn't think. I mean, I'm saying all these names and that's like just what the start list is. They may have completely changed their story. Changed their story. Yeah. Yeah. They changed their story. It's not our fault. They didn't inform Kelly and I about their updated status for racing. But it would be interesting to see Lucy Charles, you know, back it up then with yeah. Kona. Because I think sometimes sometimes the pros don't attend 70.3 as much if there's difficult travel between 70.3 Worlds and Kona. So, which South Africa is obviously like more or less the opposite side of the globe. I, mean, I think a lot of them are just <laughs> headed from there to, to the Island. Uh, Sarah True's going to, and she's doing Kona for the first time too. So uh, yeah, a lot of people I think are going to be there. It's, it's going to be competitive. It's going to be a big, yeah. Thing. There's, and there's some new, you know, Emma Pallant who of course came through last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and who else is there? Oh, Ann Hogg. Yeah. That, those are all kind of interesting new names that uh, it'll be, it, I'm keen to watch it. I will start paying attention this on weekend. Saturday. Okay. Which is like Thursday afternoon, our time. So, yeah. And then when you get <laughs> to Kona, there was a bunch of big news this last week, which I mentioned in the newsletter that a few people who didn't immediately make the cut for Kona got like roll down slots or got wild cards. So, Tim Don, the slot rolled down to him because someone else turned it down. And then Matt Russell got a wild card spot. Which obviously, like, let's preface this with, like, we all think Matt Russell deserves a wild card, right? Like, 100%. Right. He, like, went through a van window in the middle of the race last year. Like, he should have just gotten an automatic, like, you get to start again, right? Like, that's just definitely. But I still think the wild card system is a little weird. Like, they don't have it for 70.3 Worlds. 
it like just sort of is this thing that exists amorphous for Kona, but without any rules. I like was Googling the shit out of it yesterday to try and find if there's an official policy. And I am not aware of one. Are you aware of one? I couldn't find one either, Kelly. I it, it is interesting that they call it wild card as well and not discretionary, which I think is kind of slightly different. And and discretionary spots are pretty normal for picking, say, national teams. Sure. I don't know if, if you've ever been kind of hanging around. I've been in a situation where I'm on a national team, but not really vying for one of the top three spots where everybody's going for it. And then they use discretion right. know, to, to, they have some rules around the discretionary spots and then so-and-so gets picked and other people have lawyers and think they should have been picked and it gets really messy, really fast. So I think that this kind of thing around selection is kind of normal for sport but usually there are more there's like outlines there's like rules like when the u.s triathlon team had a hole to do around discretionary spots for the olympics it had to do with like if there weren't people within this many top 10 places in the world then we could potentially go to a team strategy and then we would pick a domestique who had stronger abilities and the right like there were all these like things stipulated because usually there are there's some kind of system where there's set criteria that either you hit or you don't. In this case, like the Kona points system. Mm-hmm. And then, the, and then there's also, you know, room in case like the best person in the world got hurt or I don't know, had a baby, whatever, things like that. Yeah. Well, and I think that, okay. So I think that this brings up back to as so often it comes back to is whether Kona and Ironman World Championships is kind of trying to become a or is a legitimate long course triathlon world championships or not. Because I think in sports that are, you know, federation based sports, right, you're you using legitimate, you have right. the criteria. Yeah. And so you don't just have a situation where it's like called a wild card and some random guy decides. Not, not a random guy. Guys. We know who it is. It is one guy. He is in charge of and Iron Man and he just gets, gets to decide. Right. <laughs> brings all of his biases into this decision. And I think that's what they're trying to avoid by having usually panels of people to decide who gets to go to a world championships. And then on top of it, rules governing, I mean, who gets the discretionary spots. So I don't know. I mean, obviously, like we said at the beginning, we think that Matt Russell. Yeah. Matt totally Russell deserved, deserved to go. Spot. Tim Don deserved to go. Last year when people were saying Rachel Joyce should get a wild card because she was struggling struggling is not the right word, but like she was at a deficit of points after pregnancy. Like, of course, like you could have used a wild card for her in that case, but that's not, that wasn't going to solve the pregnancy problem that women faced, right? Like there's Natasha Bodman is the last person I think who got a wild card so that she could retire in style at Kona. So like, it's not like these people aren't deserving. Uh, it's just a weird situation, weird situation. Like when you're, it's a weird situation. when you're using the word legitimate, you're using it in the like political science context here. <laughs> right. Right. We're not saying Correct. that no that these people aren't good, that it isn't like the best in the world. We're just suggesting that legitimacy and authority come with certain responsibility. Right. Right. Absolutely well said. I I think too that in Rachel Joyce's case, I think she probably should have got a discretionary spot and also Iron Man should have had a good hard look at how to make rules that make sense for women coming back from pregnancy, which ultimately they did. So I didn't, I don't think it had to be one or the other. Like we could have helped out Rachel last year and not forced her to over race to get there and created the new system, which is helpful for women that starts in 2019. 
Um, and we talked about the new system a little bit last year. We talked about picking races and cherry picking races. And <laughs> you got feedback about orgasms. I got feedback about how to pick races. Clearly, one of us has. I feel the like I won the feedback game. <laughs> yeah. Well, people were emailing me and Facebook messaging me and texting me on how to pick races. And one of our listeners, Jordan, had a bunch of thoughts. She's like a pro at picking races. Hey, Sarah and Kelly. Jordan Blanco here, longtime listener, first time caller. I wanted to follow up on Kelly's race picking questions from last week, as I think I'm pretty good at picking races. Well, at least picking races where I can qualify for Kona. Case in point, the first time I qualified for Kona, way back in 2005, a woman told me that I was really lucky to have qualified with such a slow race time. I know there's always an element of luck, but I think there are a few rules to follow to improve your chances of a Kona qualification, or in Kelly's case, a podium performance in the pro ranking. So here are my uh, four-ish rules um, to apply. Number one, pick a first-year race. It may be poor marketing on Ironman's part or an unwillingness of athletes to take a risk on a new event, but I think a first-year event is always a good fit. And even a race where they've tweaked it or changed the date, uh, in my mind, qualifies as a first-year event, some if they've made a major change. So Kelly was on the right track with her Finland race earlier this year. It was a first-year event, uh, but I know there was some extra travel stress uh, that she hadn't factored in for optimal performance. A first-year race has always been a great bet for me. Hanu, 70.3 in 2005. Ironman St. George, the first year they did that. And then, most recently, Ironman Mar del Plata in Argentina. They were all first-year races where I kind of qualified. Number two, pick a race that is hard to get to for a lot of people. Now, in this case, I'm talking two to three flights minimum. So in a bus, train transfer, and your chances just get better. Um, and when I say hard to get to a lot of people... Think about not just people from the U.S. or people from California. Think about can Europeans make it? Can Asians make it? This is a global competition, so you need to like think broadly. So I picked Argentina last year. Took three flights to get there, and it wasn't the the easiest or the cheapest place, but um, it was and it also checked the first year race box. So um, that was a good strategy. Number three, race where there are more slots. Now this should make sense. Um, but as an age group female, there are typically only one to two spots per age group, oftentimes one. So improve your chances by racing the regional championships. Um, you can also keep an eye out for any other races where Ironman selects to add Kona slots um, to boost registration. Also, in Kelly's case here, yes, uh, the regional championships may attract a deeper, broader field, but it happens in Ironman races. So even though you've got a, a deeper field, like, you could still get more points, potentially more prize money um, by going for those races because field always, something always happens to a bunch of people that you're not counting on. Rule number five, uh, sorry, rule number four, I'm getting ahead of myself. Pick a race that suits you but has elements that others fear. So in my case, I'm pretty strong on the bike, so a, a hilly bike course doesn't save me. And even though I kind of suck at swimming, I'm, I'm not scared. I don't get... Um, too worried in rough, choppy, um, surf wave uh, conditions. I, I, I can handle my um, nerve. So Los Cabos was a great race for me. It had a choppy ocean swim and then a super hilly bike course. And so into it wasn't all that easy to get to, at least for the Europeans. So it made it a little less competitive. And then the last rule is pick a race that has as many of those elements as possible. So uh, like I said, I'm in Modern Plata. It was a first year race, hard to get to. 
Um, I mentioned George was uh, a hilly bike course, challenging swim conditions, uh, and was the first year race when I qualified. Anyway, those are my ideas. I'd love to hear what others think. So I thought that Jordan had some really good tips there. She's obviously a pro at getting to Kona. And thank you, Jordan. <laughs> and some of her tips do apply, even if you're not like an age group or trying to qualify for Kona. They're pretty like universal, you know, certain regions, certain times of the year. Uh, inaugural races are good. I'm, ta- I- I'm taking these tips to heart. So there you go. Well, and maybe a question we should be we should be asking Jordan that um, someone else asked it in one of the articles from your newsletter this week is that do you have to be mentally ill to do Iron Man? <laughs> so this guy, I don't know if everybody read the newsletter. We'll put a link in the show notes. But a local at the seventy point three that was in Ireland this past weekend, and I'm going to try and say this in Dunlahar. <laughs> I don't know how you say that. It was right outside Dublin. <laughs> I'm sure that's spot on. Spot on. So he wrote a whole thing about how these people who were running around his house might be mentally unstable. And his premise was that it looks terrible. They are all like middle-aged men. I think his phrase was middle-aged men sweating out their neuroses. That is way past the point of like health, right? This is not, you're not doing this for your health, which we've talked about plenty of times. This is not like a casual jog around the neighborhood that actually it's, it's potentially very unhealthy. So why are we doing it? Do we just have too much free time and too much angst? And in all fairness, I mean, besides the fact that clearly he was a little upset because his like road was blocked by cyclists, he might, you know, he might have a point. There might be something to that. Yeah, he yeah. might have a few points. But I, but I think, okay, I think that you could call, okay, you could say that people obsessed with endurance sport are mentally ill in the sense that like we're all mentally ill in a way. It's just a matter of brand. Yeah. I mean, I think his overarching point, and I've heard this argument before with less like hostility, is that in this day and age, white collar workers largely make up the endurance sport population, right? And so why do we suffer in like local parlay, right? In, in like the, how, we, how we would term it. Why do we seek out suffering? And if you go in like a biological sense, it's because we have like a lack of it in our lives now, right? We have like too much free time, too much like not trying to like hunt down our food and primal urges and get back to the basics. And so we seek on a like biological level, something to get us out of the sitting at your desk and your computer. There's like a movie about this. There's books. It's not a, and I'm not talking about Fight Club, but that was also about this. I mean, like a real movie, like a documentary. <laughs> so, I mean, okay, I could go with that theory a little bit. And I do think that there are certain types of people that come to our sport who have certain, I don't know what you'd say, obsessions or a level of perfectionism or, I mean, there's, there's certain psychological types, right? But I see it more as an outlet for that. I mean, that goes along with your argument, right? It's an outlet in which we can express part of our humanness that certain people need or are missing in their lives. So maybe we are mentally ill, but I don't think it's a bad thing. You don't think it's a bad thing? Okay. I think, I mean, on a realistic level, if we were still having to like kill our food, we probably wouldn't do Iron Man. Like, let's be real. It would use up some of that energy, time, money. That's probably true. Probably. We've solved it. (laughs) Okay. So coming up after the break, uh, we have dumped a voicemail from Kelly's mom. 
We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at asskickerinc, inc with a K, dot com. And Crave Jerky, crave with a K, dot com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. So I'm assuming you've never done the Hood to Coast Relay, right? No, in fact, I've never heard of it. You never heard of it. It's a big deal. Okay, it's a big deal, Sarah, FYI. So it goes from Mount Hood in Oregon to the coast. And it's a running relay, an ultra running relay. It's actually a very competitive one. This isn't, you know, this isn't like sitting around with your buddies. Fast people do it. So it is a big deal to like win it. Uh, How far is it? I don't know how far that is, however far Mount Hood is to the coast. It's like 200 and something miles, something like that. Okay. I don't know. But it's been around forever. It's been around for decades. But this past week, the winning women's team tweeted out that at the award ceremony, they were there like ready for their award. They won over. They were the fastest women. They were like 12th overall out of like a thousand teams and they didn't get an award. They called up the top three men's teams. They called up the high school team. They called up the fastest walking team and they didn't call up the top women. And so they, so this woman approached the race director. I was like, what's the deal? And he told them, go talk to someone who cares. So, An excellent response for race director. Great. Great. Go. So obviously it became like, th- she tweeted this out. It became a very big story on social media. And now, and you know, now the officials are saying it was a mistake. It was, it was a snafu, which it doesn't really feel like a snafu. I got to tell you, kind of feels like they meant to do that. But that guy, Bob Foote, who's the founder, who also everyone has basically said, yeah, that sounds like him. Yeah, he definitely would have said that. He's now, I don't know if step down is the right word, but his daughter is taking over for him. And it's unclear if it's because of this or if it was going to be, but it's, but was announced after this whole snafu. Snafu. After this whole snafu. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what your mom thinks about that. Oh, buddy. I'm reading the Runner's World article about the hood to coast and those women who didn't get acknowledged. This is pissing me off. How do you run a race? plan to acknowledge the freaking high school team but don't have an award plan to hand to the women's team this is ridiculous snafu my ass get it together people